Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. Hi there, it's Timmy Manor, and welcome to the Spirit of Sport right here on 1170 SEN. Joining me tonight, as he does every week, is my partner in crime, Ben Little. Yes. We play great songs and we speak to some amazing figures in sport from the past and present. Our special guest this week, he's played over 200 games of rugby league in the professional space in the NRL and in the Super League, and he's had an 11-year career as well. After debuting in 2001 with the Sydney Roosters, he would then go on to play with the Parramatta Eels, South Sydney Rabbitohs and the Castleford Tigers. Upon retiring from the game in 2011, Dino will then become one of the most important and influential voices in the game, empowering the Indigenous community. Tonight, my guest on the Spirit of Sport is rugby league legend Dean Witters. Dino, welcome to the Spirit of Sport, mate. Oh, great to be here, man. Looking forward to having a yarn with you, Timmy, and uh, thanks for having me on. Now, mate, last time we kind of probably got together was... Uh, Legends of League competition. Um, you, you inspired our team to a victory. How are, you, how are you feeling? Are you still celebrating? Yeah, mate. Look, took home the trophy last year. They, they All the teams ducked out and blamed COVID. Didn't want to back up and try and take, it, take us on again. But sensational day we had. All the whole <laughs> was getting back in and having a bit of a run around. And, and some of us have still got some, some moves about us, but... Um, we had a lot of fun. That's what it's all about, is having fun. and it's, um, it, it was a good cause, too, coming come together to raise money for different charities. So that Legends of League Day, hopefully we get it back as soon as possible, because eh? I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think by default we're back-to-back premiers now. So we'll take it yeah. last year as well. Um, I still remember in the tunnel going out to the grand final. <laughs> and the way the competition works, for those that don't know, is um, only the winner gets the prize money. And we're in the, we're in the, in the tunnel... The dogs are literally a metre away from us. And they got, you know, Willie Mason, Rennie Matua, um, Andrew Ryan. And here's Dino in the tunnel telling everyone, boys, we need the money more than them. We need this money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you inspired, yeah, mate, inspired us to victory. Well, that's it, mate. Well, we, we had Hindy in the team. And he, he's the only one who's probably killing it at the moment with all the money he's got. So we, we, we were pretty desperate. We were there for the cash. And we let everyone know we <laughs> make the money. <laughs> And looking at the Bulldogs, you know, all their guys really set up. But, um, you know, I mean, we're just all about having a laugh and having, having a bit of a joke and, and getting out there and running around again with the boys, which, which I, th- I think is good, you know. Yeah. A lot of players suffer with uh, different mental health and, and, and well-being problems when they, when they sort of leave the game. And it's hard to connect back with all your old mates and, and do it in a healthy way. But I thought that was, a, you know, a good opportunity for us to do it and, and really loved it. And, and there was a lot of opportunities there to sit and talk with players from the other teams that you never got to talk to, you know, so really good day and hopefully they bring it back. Yeah, mate and yourself, yourself was inspirational but Ray Price as well, those, those speeches from Ray Price at halftime, they, they were um, they really lifted us, didn't they? 
<laughs> yeah, inspirational, mate. And, and a couple of, you know, the fly, the flying wedge and, and the, 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 the things we practice, you know, the, if they get a penalty goal, you know, to do the crooked man and stand over. <laughs> uh, all the little tricks that Pricey had, had us um, teed up for. And, and I love that, you know, we got to play the Bulldogs in the final. And obviously, Pricey was in his prime. I said, boys, we've got the men, the Bulldogs fear. They fear Pricey. He would put it, and he just loved it, didn't he? He loved it. He loved it. The, 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 they didn't count on Ray Price being in our corner. <laughs> <laughs> All these years later, he's still haunting him. Mate, um, I've got Benny Little in the, in the studio with me as well, my partner in crimes. Benny, say good day to the great yep. Dino. Dino, how you going, mate? Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you, brother. And uh, I hope you're doing a good job looking after the big fella there. But he, he sounds like he's a, he's a radio star, right? Eh? He's got the, the looks for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you beat me to it on that one. Yeah, always had a good head for radio. <laughs> actually, I saw I heard you in, in the studio the other day, mate. You actually got a very soothing voice for radio as well. I could see you doing a bit more of this in the future, mate. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, last night I... I was on a television show on NITV and Troy Casadaly rang in because he's a mad rugby league fan and stuff like that. And he sang, sang a little bit of a song and he got me to sing. Oh, really? My voice when I sing. Yeah, so I, it's not a singing voice, but maybe it's that little whispery little radio. And you'd have to work hard to get me a gig over there, man. I've got a feeling if we get a few, uh, a few, yeah, coronas into you, your voice, your singing <laughs> voice will go to another level. Oh, karaoke. I'm a country yeah. music fan, brother. So unless you, unless your face is in the Tim McGrew and Alan Jackson and some of those, you won't like the songs I sing. You know my earliest memories of you, you probably don't remember because I was only a kid, but I remember going, remember the physio at Grove Street North Power where the Eels used to Yeah, use? yeah, I, rem- I remember when you were a young fella coming through there. I remember coming through yeah. there and, and, and I used to like admire, obviously, the NRL boys and you were, you were very vocal and very, like every time you were in the, in the physios, there was always a lot of laughter and a lot of fun, but... um. I heard you can't sing actually a few times a few country songs as well. Um, so that's yeah. my earliest memories of you singing country songs in the physio at North Power. But yeah, mate, well, man, like just love my time there and uh, and love like, like I said, like, trying to be a bit of an entertainer around the team. That was that was what I used to do. I used to just love having fun, mate. It was one of the best jobs yeah. in the world playing footy. Mate, we'll we'll get to more about Power later, but let's start right at the start, mate. And you were picked up in your the start of your journey from the great Arthur Beetson. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so um, like obviously playing junior rugby league up there in Armidale, I, like I grew up loving footy, and I always looked up to my dad and my uncles. They were the people that I wanted to be like. I just wanted to play footy like them, you know. And everyone would tell me how good they all were, and I hoped, you know, if you can be as good as them, you can be a good football player. So I just used to push myself as hard as I could to try and be like my dad and, and my uncle. And then um, as I got older, I made a few rep teams, played for country, uh, played for New South Wales in the seventeens, and then. Uh, I, had a, I had a lot of clubs chasing me, but Artie Beetson came up to my house in Armidale and had dinner with my family. And that's where I, my dad just looked at me and goes, you're going to go to the Roosters. If Artie Beetson can drive that far, come up here and have dinner with us and stuff like that, you're going to go down there. So I can move down and move to Sydney and live with Artie. And, um, you know, it was a fantastic experience for me having him around the club. He was just he was like a god, Artie Beetson. And he just had this presence about him, you know. No matter what it was, he just wanted to be near him and listen to what he had to say, or, or hope that he would talk to you and stuff like that. So, amazing person to be around, and, and all the young guys at the Roosters used to love it. And that's that's virtually how I ended up at the Roosters. And they had some terrific people back there. A bloke called Brian Gray was running the, the the sort of junior teams, and he was a coach that I first got with, and perfect man to introduce you to playing, you know, higher level rep footy and. That's why they got such a good production line at the Roosters. When they bring kids in at a young age, 
they do turn them into first grade football because they've got so many good people. Eh? Yeah. And, were, and were you living with Artie as well? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, living with Artie, two T-bone steaks for dinner <laughs> each, each, and yeah, big, big feed, mate. We loved it and sit up and talk all night, and it was just, it was awesome, man. I, I stayed with him for you know about the first three or four months when I moved to Sydney, and then I um I moved into a place out of Bondi, but I'll always remember that time of getting to stay with Artie Beaton for a while when I first moved down there. How young were you when you realised uh, footy might be a career for you? Yeah, I, I suppose as a 15, 16-year-old, you know, you're starting to get more serious about it. Um, you make those representative teams, which is all in the pathway, you know, the schoolboys at 15s and the country championships we play in when we're on the 17s and stuff like that. So you start to look at all these different representative teams and see, oh, this is where you compete against the best and the training goes up and all that sort of stuff. So that's when I really started to believe in it. But from a young age, you know, I, I was sort of just obsessed with rugby league. I, I, all my reading as a young kid was always footy books. I'd buy every football book that was out. And, um, you know, I'd just read them. I'd read the rugby league week and the big league every week, tune into the games. Uh, every afternoon, me and my cousins, my mates would always be throwing a footy around, touch footy in summer. It was all that sort of stuff. So that real passion for the game, um, loved it and just and loved the, the fact that, you know, was competing against better players and, and challenging myself. So it was always sort of that was going to lead me to the NRL. So from a really young age, I probably had that um, dream going. Looking back on it now, what advice uh, did you get that was helpful and was there any advice that you got that wasn't helpful back starting out? Oh, you know, there probably was, but I think there probably not, not probably was uh, anything that, that wasn't helpful. I think everything is helpful the way you work it out yourself over time. Yeah. Um, I got a, a, lot, a lot of good advice. Like my nan, just, just being an Aboriginal person growing up in the bush, my nan gave me some great advice as a kid all the time. My name was part of the stolen generation and had a horrific life, you know, mm-hmm. taken away from the family and never really got back in with her, with her brothers and sisters for the rest of her life and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, and, you know, so I had some, a lot of sad things and happened to her as, to, as well while she was away in homes and stuff. But she always said, don't ever let her tough life hold us kids back. She wanted us to use her, what she'd been through, as a motivation to go on and do good things in our lives. Mm. And for me, that was probably one of the best bits of advice I got was just to, you know, my nan had been through a tough life, but I wasn't going to hold on to resentment or anger or any of that sort of stuff. I was going to use that as an inspiration, a strength, and, and, and sort of help me in my strength in my identity to know that I could go on and do good things. And, and my dad was one of the hardest working people I've ever ever met. You know, he still is. And, and he, he, he just his work ethic was sort of kept me on the right track and, and, and having those things in there. So a lot of my lessons were probably lessons away from football that, that helped me most. Mm. Mate, you're, def- you're a proud Indigenous man and throughout your whole career, you're such a great reflection on your, on your people and you had a whole generation of young Indigenous kids looking up to you. How did you find that pressure of having, knowing that you were a role model and that you had a lot of kids looking up to you and watching every move and how you were handling you know, your career? Yeah, well, I always say, like, a rugby league career comes with pressure and profile, but it's also, like, a privilege to be in that position, and that's how I always took it. So I, I really took that responsibility serious um, throughout my career. So I knew that I could, I had the opportunity to make a difference to kids. I knew that there'd be, you know, a ripple effect of all my positive actions. So anything that I did could, you know, start spark little fires of or motivation in other little kids or give them inspiration. And then people would look up to me and learn from me. And, and I'd have that opportunity also to take back some of the things that I learned of, you know, terrific coaches, amazing players, 
um, all the great people you meet around from being in rugby league, some of the lessons that you see from them or some of the habits that they create, um, you borrow them and you, and you take them back and you try and teach other people who don't probably have the chance to be around positive people like that. So mm. for me, I always took it really seriously. Um, and I never ever found it as really a, a hard pressure or something that was really um, getting on top of me because I always thought, you know, this is this is my ability to make a change and make a difference. And um, I hope that, you know, that's that's the thing that I've sparked in others is, and they've gone on and, and done good things in their life. And, and that's what I still try and do today is just love trying to be able to get out there and make a difference. Mate, one of those voices that probably uh, had a big impact on you was probably David Vidyard. What was he yep. like? What, what... As an example for you, what was he someone that, what was his experience with you like, and what was um, his advice he gave you? Yeah, well, I, I met him when I was sort of just on the uh, about to sort of um, embark on the, the journey to move to Sydney and play in the NRL. So, and then he selected me in a in an Indigenous rugby league team that was going tour in England, and it was sort of made up of a, a heap of guys under twenty five, and I was the youngest on the tour. And went over there, and a lot of the boys that were in that team were sort of like Lee Hookie and a guy called Mark Mundine, a few senior players. But a lot of a few of them went on and played lower grades, and and Lee obviously played first grade. Alfie Duncan was in that team, and he played first grade football for Manly. So there was a few of the successful. Heron was a captain. He was a Dragons first grade player. So we we had all these sort of um, older boys that were sort of playing in the in the big league. And then Lips took me over there and, and got me amongst them and, and just learning from him over in that sort of six weeks about what it would be to take, take to be a first-grade player, um, what he'd done in his career. And then when I moved to Sydney, he sort of always helped me out and, and supported me with, with work here and there or, you know, just, just being a, a good friend, I suppose. So always been on my side from, from a young age, Lips, and, and it certainly helped me in those initial stages when I come down to Sydney and... Um, great to be, you know, and then it was great for me to end up at, at his club at Parramatta, you know. So, um, yeah, always sort of shared a really good journey with Lid, still do today. Well, I saw him last week. The guy's rig. He can still play now. Have you seen that for years? It's all upper body, though, man. Come on, his legs are skinny as, skinny <laughs> as a race. Yeah, wearing... And he's just doing all upper body. And, and, and at his age now, he still can't wait to take his shirt off or put his singlet on or something like that. But, yeah, he spends a lot of time in the gym. I wish I had that much time. You, you, and, I, you and I are all upper body as well, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when, you know, I was, <laughs> when I when I when I get the chance to get in the gym, it's all upper body, man. The knees don't hold up too well yeah. on the squats these days. I'm uh, I'm still swimming in my t-shirt these days in retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't take mine off either, Timmy. You know, we had those days, mate. Yeah, oh, boy, I don't know. If we did. I don't know if I had those. I was actually talking to someone the other day. I'm like, I played in NRL for 11 years, and not once did I ever have a six pack. So. I've got no chance yeah, of retirement. Well, <laughs> I think I think my skin fold records still stand at all the clubs that I played. So, um, <laughs> you are inspirational. You are inspirational to us fellas that had probably a bit more love around the around the uh, hips. Um, yeah, a bit of bumping, eh? A little bump what, off there and, what, and, and use it as protection. What, what position did you play most of your career in? So mostly played lock and second row, like uh, it was sort of like a wide running second row, which yeah. I loved at Parramatta. Like when I first went to Parramatta, man, Brian, Brian Smith um, had rugby league played on a, on a different type of level than I've ever seen anywhere else. You know, different tactics for the way different players would play their position, um, uh, incredible game plans. Like uh, it was just a mastermind, and, and I haven't seen anyone really like him in rugby league. Just have that tactical genius. You know what I mean? And, and some of the stuff that he was doing with us as players 
was incredible. And I just really loved playing under him. Eh? Like he, he gave me the opportunity to play second row, but do it in a little bit different way than normally to, to play a little bit wider, to get the ball early, and to be able to come in and do a bit of ball playing. So you'd have all these different roles that you'd play in the game. Um, and then different ways you defend compared to where you were, were attacking. So it, it was really um, high-level rugby league, and I, I haven't seen anything like it. And um, That's why he was so successful for a long time. So I just, I just wish he would have won premiership out there because he, he really deserved it. Eh? He worked that hard yeah. and he was that smart. It's, it seems like you had a pretty close relationship with Brian Smith. Uh, you mentioned some things on the field. What about off the field? How was your relationship? Yeah, no, excellent man. So he, he he taught me some harsh lessons. I tell you, he, <laughs> one time he banned me from training for the first two weeks because I didn't come back in uh, the condition that I, that that he expected me. So he told me to go away and train by myself for the first two weeks of preseason, and and, and I and I still had to sort of meet these targets. So I, so I was tough. He, he, but he um, early on when I went to Parramatta, I, I remember when I first met him, I thought this bloke's like a bloody genius the way he talks about rugby league. He's just he talks about it on a different level than most other people. But then he, um, he, I went up to McLean with him, his hometown, early in the piece. And a lot of Aboriginal people live up there, and, and it's a really lovely town. You know, the way the people get on up there, they play for Lower Clarence Magpies, and the, the, the black and white of the Magpies, they, they, they liken that to their, their community. You know, it's blackfellas and whitefellas all working together to get the best. And they had this really good program. They were helping young kids up there, and he wanted me to go up. And I went up with him and spent some time with him. and. I just got, got to know him a little bit away from footy and stuff like that. And over the years, like, very generous man, Smitty. He does a lot for people that, you know, he never makes a noise about and, and never never talks about. But um, I, I found him really good, you know, as, and, and always been someone, even today, someone I can always get on the phone to and have a chat and, and give get some tips off any time. Mate, they got you a beauty. You came in 2002, was it, the para? Yeah. So you would have seen, you know, 01, they're flying, just missed the grand final. We'll win it next year. They they got you a beauty. Yeah, well, but you know what happened. So my uncle, my uncle was uh, my uncle Frank was the craziest um, Roosters fan ever. So <laughs> and and he loved it when I went to the Roosters. He loved it. Yeah. But then I went to Parramatta, and this is what he used to say to me. He goes, "Oh, as soon as we got rid of the reject, as soon as we got rid of the reject and sent him to Parramatta, he went out there. He said Parramatta made the grand final before you got there." You went there, they never made a grand final again for while you were there. <laughs> he goes, and then the Roosters, the Roosters, he said, I was at the Roosters, we, we went the next three grand finals in a row. <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 made the, I made the wrong move. So, so everyone was telling me at the time, the Roosters, I wanted to, the, the Roosters wanted me to stay there, but everyone was saying, you've got to get out to Parramatta, you'll love it, it's in the team. And, and when I went met Brian, I was like, yeah, this is super. So I was going to this team full of you know, young superstars, Nathan Hindmarsh, Nathan Kalis, Michael Vella, Luke Burt, like they had all the best young players. Brett Hodgson was there, Jamie Lyon, like yeah, the list yeah. goes on and on. Dave Vialecki. I went there and it was just like the best, best young rugby league players that were all coming through. They were all at that club. And then um, I left the Roosters, went out there, and then Ricky Stewart went to the Roosters after I, I after I um, signed to go to Para. And then turned them, turned the Roosters around, and the Roosters made the next three grand finals. So I probably should have probably stayed where I was. <laughs> no, I, I love my time out there, Paraman. And we we went close a few times. We just just couldn't get there, you know. We, we had yeah. the team there to do it. Oh five, oh seven, you came real close, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and look, that oh five team, I, I still think is you know one of the best teams I've seen run around in a competition. Yeah. We, just, we just have players everywhere, but we just couldn't get the bloody win. Yeah. Is there a coach that stands out to you? Like you talk about, you know, you didn't have Ricky Stewart, but is there a coach you remember other than Brian Smith that, you know, you really enjoyed playing with? 
Um, yeah, well, I, I got to play with Jason under Jason Taylor at South. Uh, Gray Murray was really good at that, the Roosters. Uh, but but the one that I, I wish I played under more, and I only sort of saw him as a as a young kid coming through at the Roosters. But he, and he did come back there a few times. Was Phil Gould? Like, oh, yeah. mate, he was he, he was a genius, you know. And and I just remember he, he, not so much in the tactical sense as Bryce. He's like he obviously knows his footy, Gus, and, and is a tactical genius. But just on his way to make men believe in themselves and to fire up and to to get ready to get a job done. He, he, we were struggling at the Roosters and uh, for a while there, and, and then uh, Nick Politis got him to come back and, and sort of talk to us, even though Muzzer was coaching. He got Gus to come in and do a few talks, and Gus came in, and, and we were going up to play the Broncos. They were killing everyone at that time, and we'd been going terrible. And he came in and talked to us before we went up there and played him, and I just couldn't believe it, mate. It was one of the best speeches and motivational things I've ever been through to go. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It was sort of session with him and, and stuff like that. And then we went up there and we smacked the Broncos and, and in Brisbane, which no one was doing back then. And I just I remember talking to Brad Fittler about it. I was like, oh, man, he, how amazing was that? I was like, Gus, mate, he had me ready to bloody run through brick walls and, yeah. and you know, like, doing anything and then he goes Freddie goes yeah that's what he's like he's like that mate when you play under him every week's like that you know just yeah. unbelievable motivator and, and to bring people together and to get people to driving towards a common cause and he's one coach that I, I wish I would have you know either made first grade earlier as he was, he was, I was only 17 and 18 when he was there yeah. or, or just if he'd hung around a bit longer at the races I would love to have played under him but I did get a glimpse of him you know in some of the things that um, when he came back to the Roosters and helped out here and there. Yeah, Dean, you're a bit of an inspiration yourself. What what kind of things are you doing to give back to the next generation or bring through some of those young guys? Uh, well, so, I mean, I try and, like, obviously rugby league, you know, that's, that's where I work. I work at the National Rugby League these days and working in the female pathways a lot these days. So, for me, it's, it's sort of switched a lot. And um, I think it's my young daughter, just rugby league crazy. Eh? Yolara, she loves <laughs> rugby league and she's so passionate about it. She's a 17 year old girl now. Yes. So, coming through on that cusp of everything good that's happening for the women. So, it sort of got me motivated in that women's space. But I really enjoyed it, you know, helping um, at different levels, coaching in the Harvey Norman Premiership, done some stuff in the WNRL at the Roosters a few years ago. and and then our Indigenous All-Star. So, me, it's sort of like teaching the, the, the girls what what you can get out of rugby league and what, what you can learn from it um, and how you can implement that back in the community to make the communities better and, and also to bring people together. So, um, yeah, different opportunities I've got to do that. I, I still do some... Uh, I played footy at Redfern All Blacks. Um, this is a local team in A-grade here in, in uh, South Sydney comp and, and all the Aboriginal boys play there. Mm. And we won four four grand finals in a row there at Redford. And that was one of the best things I've done too, just going back oh, to the wow, community, yeah. bringing the community, bringing the community together. Um, we, we did a lot of um, sort of positive sort of role modelling and, and had a lot of, lot of um, different programs at the club like State of Mind. We were doing some stuff with guys out of prison 
doing some stuff with kids around domestic violence. So we did a lot of stuff off the, off the field, more so than winning on the field. And I think it just goes to show in, in a rugby league club, if you can turn people into, into good people, the, the football part of it's easy. They'll play well. You know, you know, you'll get them united on in the footy field. And, stuff like that. And, and even though that's just a local comp, it was, it was really one something that I really loved doing was being able to give back and, and be part of that sort of community for the for the four or five years there that I was coaching. Yeah, I had a revelation like last week, I think it was, about my kids that I'm not raising basketball players. I'm a bit of a basketball fiend. I'm not raising basketball players. I'm, I'm raising good humans. And then the, the basketball that's is just exactly. part of it. Exactly right, man, and I like, and I always say to people too, like, um, you know, some of the best blokes I know didn't make it in sports. You know, they 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 tried their rugby league careers and stuff like that, and for some reason or another didn't make it. So it doesn't mean you're, you're not a good person if you don't make it to the top in rugby league. And I think yeah. the most important thing is to always be a, be a good person, and and that's why, like I know when I started playing sport, that's what sport was all about. Mm. Was you know to, all about the values and the lessons you learn in sport, and I think particularly in footy in Australia, it's it's something that we've really got to drive and get back. You know, it was all about teamwork and hard work and discipline and dedication. Those are the those are the real values of it. And now, like you got inclusiveness and unity and mm. and all this sort of stuff around respect. But I really love it, and, and they're the values that drive our game. And, I think that they're the most important lessons that you can teach them. Forget catching and passing and stuff like that. Yeah, you're the man. I love it. Um, are you doing some stuff with Siasini as well, the, the women's team? Yeah, man. Are you coach? Yeah, coaching there. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's a tough gig, man. We've got an inexperienced young team, but we've got some real positive role models and we've got some future players there. They're going to go really good in the future. We've just got to be patient about how we rebuild and so... Been a been a little bit of a challenge this year. We we started playing all the top teams, so a tough sort of start to the season. But we've got a couple of wins now, and and we're getting into a sort of only three games left now. We play them against some of the teams that are at the bottom, so hoping to finish on a bit of a high. But you know, all about development. Then I love you know what the club's doing there at South with the with their pathways all across. You know, they they got good plan there. And Jason Demetrio, mate, is coming in as the next coach under under Wayne. He's doing a fantastic job there at the Rabbitohs around developing good young players, good young men, you know. So um, really, really good to be involved in that club there at South. And, and our women, yeah, the, the, this year was a bit of a, a tough one, a rebuilding year. But I think over the next uh, sort of 12 to 18 months, we're going to build a good young team there at South. Now, how's our little SEN colleague, Katie Brown? How's she going over there? Mate, she's, she's one of the most positive people I've <laughs> ever had around. She's hardworking. Like she never quits. Yeah. Gives it everything. She's she's impatient as hell. So <laughs> she, you know, she wants she she wants to be. She played ten games in her career, and she she wants to be challenging the best players and stuff like that. So yeah. there's a lot of things that she's still got to learn that, that become good habits on the field. So obviously she trains the house down. She her technique of training she works hard on, but she just hasn't got it where it's natural when she gets on the field because she's only played ten times. So. I think it's just, um, you know, but she's good. You, you'd obviously know from her personality on the radio. She's, she's full of beans, full of life, always a positive person and one of the kindest people, you know, that goes out of their way for others. So mm. um, great person to have around the team. And I still think that there's going to be good football around her. I think she's going to make it somewhere. Yeah. She's just got to be patient and hang in there. Eh? Yeah, she works hard. I remember when I first started commentating, she'd come in on a weekend and literally just sit there watching us commentate just because she wanted to learn how we did it and what we do and the process behind it. So she's she's not scared of putting some hours and work hard. Um, mate, I want to talk to you about 
when you went to the Bunnies in 07, with, when Rusty just took over. I, I remember those days. I remember Eddie Pettiborn, a few of the boys back that were there, there, that were wearing those, uh, was it Giorgio Armani suits? Yeah, Marnie suit. Yeah, what, what was it like back there when, when Russell Crowe comes and takes over the club? What was it like being a part of that team? Mate, it was awesome, mate. Like, I, I'd sort of lived in the in the area when I, I moved down from, from um, Armadale and Artie lived right in Redfern, Artie Pizza. So I was living in Redfern there. Yeah. And I ended up moving to Bondi for 12 months. But, you know, I didn't go to the beach. Well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a river boy from the country. We don't, yeah. you know, we don't... No waves out there. We, you and me both, bro. I'm Parramatta River. We, yeah, we don't, we don't like the salty water, bro, um, and yeah, I don't like the yeah. sand everywhere. So uh, the beach isn't for me. I'd rather go to the river or the swimming pool, you know, if it's, uh, rather than go, go out there. So uh, the, the eastern suburbs didn't really suit me, so I moved back into the Redfern area, mm. and I lived there. And then obviously traveling out to Parra and the stuff, and I love Parramatta, you know. That was, that's, that's, my heart was in Parra. Yeah. But... Um, when it came the chance to go to Rabbitohs where I lived and stuff, because Brian had left um, Power and the whole club was sort of changing, I um I went went to the Rabbitohs and Russell Crowe and Shane Richardson, what they had planned for that club and especially some of the plans in the Indigenous community how they were going to try and give back and and develop their club and and virtually what what their vision was of those two men, that's what you've got at the Rabbitohs now. Like it's it was sort of um, to come in, they wanted to have the, some of the best Indigenous players all playing at their club. Um, producing players through the through the grassroots system and, and sort of really sparking up Redfern and, and La Perouse areas and, and having every young kid in the bush wanting to, wanting to be part of the Rabbitohs. Sort of that, that was their plan. And it's it sort of, when I look at it now, you know, they've had Greg Inglis there, they've got Latrell Mitchell, Cody Walker, Gagai, Alex Johnson. They've got some of the biggest names in the Indigenous space there. Yeah. And some of the most vocal boys in the community, like the ones that really go out and make a difference, especially in Cody and Latrell, you know, they they're the two leaders amongst Indigenous players. So that was their vision years ago. And they wanted me and David Peachy and sort of Joey Williams, some of these guys, to come in and sort of spark that in, in, in the club. And look, I'm not taking any credit for it. All. It was all Russell's dream and stuff like that. But it was all you, that mate. Vision I know. That he sold to <laughs> we dug the well, man. Yeah, <laughs> we dug yeah. the well. But um, that vision that they had, was what what convinced me to go there, and it's just look, it's crazy, but that's how it's played out there now, and it's just a proud club. Its connection with the indigenous community is uh, amazing. You know, Blake Solly and um, Brock Schaefer and some of the guys that are out there now at the Rabbitohs, they do amazing things in the Aboriginal community, and and their indigenous round last week was just a highlight of everything that they you know that they've done. They do it so well, their players and everything. And um, mm. really, really just one of those clubs, man, that, that make a difference in the Indigenous community. But that, that they hooked me in in 15 minutes, Russell Crowe and Shane Richardson, when they spoke about what the goal and the dream was of the club and how they'd rebuilt. Because back in those days, South hadn't made the semis for 20-something, 30 years or something like that. It was something crazy. So, um, you know, going there, they were down and down. But um, they signed Nige Vangana and Roy Asatasi and, David Kidwell and, and a few other guys, and I thought, you know, this is going to be good to be part of, and, and it was. It was a dream, man, to be there and dressed in Giorgio Armani and <laughs> doing all sorts of fun things. Yeah. Mate, Indigenous Week last week, how did you, how did you find the, how the NRL, you've obviously been involved with the NRL for a long time as a player now and now working there. How do you find the NRL's, like, um, contribution to, like, respecting and showing honour where it's due? Has it grown over the years? Where do you see it now and where do you see it going moving forward? Oh man, it was amazing to sit back last week and see the Indigenous round. Every year it gets bigger and better. 
the clubs do such a fantastic job, and, and I have to commend a lot of the, you know, the community managers and the people that are out there running the, the games on, on behalf of the clubs for the effort they go into to doing everything the right way, to do it respectfully, um, and and to be part of it. I, I think the big thing for me is. Now, it's obviously a celebration of Indigenous players and their input into the game, recognising that, but also recognising the difference that rugby league makes in our communities. And when I talk about like rugby league making a difference in our communities, it's not just the Indigenous players. Mm. So I remember going to a lot of Aboriginal communities, and their favourite players were always like Nathan Highmarsh or Cameron Smith or you know, a lot of the yeah Timmy Manor, the Indigenous <laughs> boys. They're the ones they love the most. Like they, they do love our boys, but they also a lot of them look up to the other guys, you know. So, mm. and and those guys make a big difference, you know. So, I think um, just seeing how far rugby league's come now, where everyone feels part of that Indigenous round. You know, you had Damien Cook last week, the the uh, Latrell Mitchell's little try celebration, and mm. I think the boys get their boots painted. They all play a part, and they all learn a bit about our culture. Cause for me, Aboriginal culture belongs to all of us. You know, we're all part of this country, and Aboriginal history has been here for 100,000 years, so it belongs to all of us, and we should all be proud of it and share it. And I think the, the rugby league certainly sort of leads the way in doing that through Indigenous round. We sort of inviting everyone in, so let's all celebrate it together. Let's learn a bit as we can, shine a, shine a bit of a light on some of these issues, but also all move forward together. And that's what I really love about it. And I think the NRL's done a fantastic job, but our clubs and our players, they all do amazing things, man. Like, well, that's one thing we do do well as, as a group is the players really do um, bring some extra meaning to all these special rounds and special causes that we have. You know, they, We do it better than any other sport. Mm. You mentioned your grand being a part of the, the stolen generation and how impactful her um, guidance and um, life principles were for you. Was there a standout story or, or life lesson that she'd share with you that stood out to you in your memory? You know, I think it's, um, you know, basically around um, being proud of who you are and connecting to your culture and using your culture to be to give you strength. Yeah. You know, I've always looked as, at my identity as given me strength and, and let me overcome challenges. And you look at the resilience of our people, like even traditionally, to survive on, on this um, country for, you know, over 100,000 years, they would have went through floods and, and fires and... Yeah famines and, and all sorts of things, earthquakes, it would have been natural disasters. It would, look how tough it would be living out in the desert, you know what I mean? Like most of us wouldn't survive 10 minutes out there, mm. but our people survived for 100,000 years and, and an oldest surviving culture in the world. So for me, I thought, you know, there's a lot of positive things around our traditional culture. My men always want to connect back to the strength. Yeah. Um, for a lot of Aboriginal people and for a long time in Australia, our culture was always suppressed, you know, and people looked down or always looked at what's wrong with it. And people people think by embracing Aboriginal culture is, oh, I want to be the one to help all the bad statistics and the go in. No, sometimes there's a different way of embracing our culture and looking at the power of it mm-hmm. and looking at the strengths of it. So um, I sort of got taught that from my men from a long day, from a long, long time ago, is to always look at the strengths of our culture and be be connected to those strengths so it's always been something that i've been proud of and look i know there's a lot of a lot of um uh, 
deficits in our community and a lot of things that are negative in our communities that we need to, to work hard on. And a lot of statistics, we're a long way behind for Aboriginal people. But I think there's also this part of us that, you know, we need to promote strengths and we need to promote yeah. the positivity in, in our traditional culture. And, and that will lift kids up. You know, when we, when we hear all the negative stats and the negative things about our community for a long time, our kids are raised hearing that all the time. And, and that's, that's where the confidence and that belief in themselves to overcome these things sometimes struggles, right? Yeah, I remember, um, like, I was, we, I had a lot to do with Chrissy Sandow. We played, you know, Aussie school boys together when we were 17, and we, we just had a really strong connection, me and Chrissy, then we played together at Power, obviously. But there was a lot of times where people thought that, you know, that, I remember people trying to tell him that, you know, if you work hard or if you do well in your career, you know, you can make it and, you know, you, you, know, you can, like, live, make it in the big city kind of thing and buy a house and live here. And But all along, he never, like, it was almost, he felt really disrespected by that because he wanted to go back to the Sherberg where he loved, like, he loved his upbringing. And for he him, loves it, eh? Yeah, well, for him, it was like... He's happy there. So by saying that, it's almost like you're telling him, like, I don't... Yeah, you know, it's almost like saying, I don't value where you came from. This is better. Whereas in his head, it was always like, no, this is my home. This is this is who I am. So I think that's where people got to understand the shift and, and realise that just because you think something doesn't mean that it's, like, the right way because people have, you know, a strong view on that. And it's really important that, you know, we think about it through their shoes as well and understand, like... I. Chrissy was always clear from the start. So anyone that knew him knew who he was and knew at the end of the day, he was always going to be that boy from Sherberg and that, that was him. That was his home. So for someone to come from mm. the outside and tell him, no, nah, this is what you should be, for, like for me and for him as well, I thought it was always a sign of massive disrespect. That's well said, brother. I really, really respect the way you said that and how you picked up on that. And that like we do value community and family sort of above most other things, you know what I mean? And especially over the top of material things, you know, mm. living in a city and, yeah. and living in a great place and, and stuff. And we don't judge people on where they're from or anything like that. It's just we accept people for where they're from. So um, we don't, a lot of Aboriginal people, we, we, we don't, you know, the, I know a lot of people, I see it in, in Sydney, a lot of, the, you know, the Westies and the Eastern suburbs and how we're better than them because of where we live and, mm. and all that sort of stuff. And in our community, that, that stuff doesn't exist. We just sort of, everyone's accepted for who they are, where they are, and, 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 and take them on, on, their, on their values and the way they sort of treat you as a person. But I think definitely with someone like Chris Sando and a lot of our players, they're bush boys, they're community boys, they want to be home with the family and stuff mm. like that. They want to play rugby league because they love it, not yeah, because yeah. you're going to change them as a person. And that's when they always play their best footy anyway, when they're loving it, when they're enjoying it, not because of any uh, monetary gain or like you know pressure that you're going to get on them as a professional. It's just they're loving their footy and you see that. It's the same with all kids anyway. When they're playing their best footy, it's because they're enjoying themselves. Yeah, 100%, man. And uh, One thing I always said about Chrissy Sando, it was a real shame that the league had become that defensive and that structured at that sort of period mm. that a player like Chrissy Sando ended up going to England because you put him in today's game, oh, he would be a, a, just the way they play it now. It's, it's become very attacking. It's it's very yeah. sort of um, play what you see. It's It's open. It's try things and, and I look at a player like Chris and he'd be outstanding in today's competition. Yeah, like Sam Walker's same kind of thing. They play what they see and Chrissy, mate, Chrissy did that better than anyone. The other one I reckon mm. I've been saying on air the last few weeks who I think would kill it with the new rules is uh, Bevin French. I reckon Bevin, yeah. like you look at like you know, Pappenhausen and all, all the, like the, the smaller, faster fullbacks, Tedesco, they're loving the new rules now because they're getting tired, fatigued forwards in the middle and they're just popping up at the right time. And no one had a better instinct or a better footy-like instinct than Bevy because he always know exactly where to be at the right time. 
Uh, it was just a shame. You know, Power tried to play him on the wing. It probably wasn't his position. You know, the way the, the game's played now, the wingers are getting a lot bigger. Um, but as a fullback yeah. in today's game, mate, I reckon Bevan Prince would absolutely kill it. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. His, his, his anticipation, his speed, his, his agility, like, and, and his, his skill and vision for the game, um, unbelievable. You know, you know, like them Tinker boys, uh, crazy the way they play, you know, like Preston Campbell, Nathan Blacklock, Bevan French, another one. And it's exciting to me just as we talk about it, but Preston's young boy, Jaden's going to play this weekend. You're crazy, for the yeah. And and he's he's like Bevan French. You watch him; he's got that same movement, anticipation, and and speed. And it'll be really interesting to see um, Jaden's career because it'll tell us a lot about where rugby league's at and, and how rugby league is. But he's I've seen Jaden as a young boy coming through, and he's a, as electric as any player I've ever seen. Like it's he's and his toughness, like he's exactly the way his old man was. His old man was just tough as yeah, nails, Preston. Yeah. And just would throw himself at you know people three times the size of him. I remember hearing a story and, where people they used to say Preston Campbell like they should defend on the wing, and he used to tell everyone, "No, it gets tough. I'm, I'm defending in the where the five eight defends." Like he's he was always like never scared I, hard stuff. I remember forwards making breaks and trying to run straight at him, and that was one thing you didn't do is run because he'd just throw his body like and he'd cut you in half and yeah. he'd wail you. So what you what the way you could beat him was. You'd have to sort of like get on the outside and use your fan and your long arms because he was so short and, and not give him a chance to get you. But if you ran straight at him thinking, oh, I'm just going to run over top of him, he would probably generally most times just cut you in half. Yeah. He was that, that brave as a defender and that tough. And, he, and he'd come in really hard. And I've seen him break a few people in half because <laughs> they tried to just think run over top of him. But yeah, and he's young boy playing, man. Really going to be exciting. And uh, and yeah, I agree with you. Bevan French, yeah, definitely a player. Like, oh. Hopefully we'll see him back in NRL. He's only still young. Yeah, I know. He's still real young. And he got runner-up for the uh, play of the year over there last year. So he's got he's still got plenty of potential. Um, mate, before we wrap up, I want to just ask you oh, a bit of a deeper question. One of those questions you ask a girl when you start dating her. But, um, mate, five years' time, where's, where's Dino? What's he doing? What's he looking like? Well, um, I'm hoping coaching somewhere. I've done a, you know, done a bit of coaching. Uh, uh, I hope that I'm coaching in rugby league. At what, what level? I'd, I'd love to be, you know, involved in a, in a in an NRL club, but in, hopefully in a first-grade team. Yep. Um, also, um, I suppose off the field, just, just happy and uh, and still got my friends and still giving back to the community and still trying to make a difference. If I'm... If I'm doing those things, mate, I'll, I'll, I'll be as happy as anything. Mate, you're a champion. Thank you so much for joining us. And I think I speak on behalf of literally the whole rugby league community, not just players, but fans, sponsors, everyone yeah, that's definitely. been involved with the game for a long time. Mate, we, we honestly, we respect you so much for the way you've carried yourself through your playing career, what you're doing for the community as well now in your post-career, and, and the, the difference you're making is huge. And, mate, we're really honoured that we got to speak to you and have you, have you on here, and we hopefully have you on the radio a lot more often, mate. Awesome, brother. Great to talk to you, brother. And let, let's get that Legends of League on again, eh? And get in the sheds and spin a few more yarns. I'm going to start doing some leg swings right now. Again. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com. You ready for it? <laughs> All right, brother.